I invite you to open your Bible this morning to Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22. And we have some, some sneaky people trying to, trying to fool the Lord Jesus. That's not a smart idea in this chapter. Um, you have starting here in verse um, 15 and 16, you've got the, uh, the Pharisees and Herodians trying to trick Jesus with a hard question. And they, huh, they didn't, they didn't win. Jesus answered them, render unto Caesar, the things that are Caesar's and verse 22. And they heard these words. They'd never heard this before. And they, they marveled, they walked away. And then came the Sadducees, the other religious group. And they started bringing up this thing about marriage. And uh, the woman with all of the, uh, the husbands that every one of them died. What an interesting story. Who would want to marry that woman? You know, after like the third or fourth husband. Uh, no, thank you. But anyhow, apparently seven did and seven died. And then they said, whose wife is she in the resurrection? And the Lord answered them, put them to silence. Well, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. But then he turned on them and says, ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, because these people didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in like a, a life after death kind of thing. And he astonished them because he told them that, uh, uh, God said, I am current tense. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, meaning that they were still alive. And again, they'd never heard this before. And off they, off they went, I'll tell you something. Jesus is smart, isn't he? Amen. And so finally this lawyer comes up. Now this is not a lawyer in today's sense, you know, in the courts of law and so on. This was for the laws of, of Israel. And the, uh, the 600, whatever commandments that are found in the old Testament scriptures, not just the 10, there's a whole bunch more. And these men were specialists in, in old Testament laws. And so this lawyer came up asking him, what is the greatest commandment? And these are things that they had bandied back and forth. And they knew, they thought they knew all the arguments. And so whatever Jesus was going to answer, they had a, a comeback for it. I mean, it's real politics. I'll tell you. And so, and Jesus gave them this tremendous answer here. And we're going to um, briefly look at this. Now the Bible teaches us that missions is all about people. And the Bible teaches us that God loves people. God loves lost people and God loves saved people. There are some people that think that God hates lost people and only loves saved people. And that is not true. Where do you think the saved people came from in the first place? They came from lost people. And so this theology that God loves the saved and hates the lost. Now that's not true. Uh, God is angry with the wicked, but he still loves people. Um, that's very true. Jesus in verse 37 pointed out in answer to the lawyer's question that love for God comes first. Now folks, we need to learn that lesson. Boy, that that's worth preaching about because what we tend to do is we, we put our husband or wife above God. We put our children above God 
And we say, well, I love my wife. I love my children and I love God. Well, you got the order reversed. Oh, but it's cruel. If I love God, then love my, my wife and love my children. He says that that's cruel. That's not cruel. You will be a better lover of your wife, a better lover of your husband, a better lover of your children. If you put God first, that's the way God made us. God has to be first. He has to be. So we have to love God first. That's what Jesus taught. But then after that, what comes? We're to love people. That is the second commandment here. And that's what missions is all about. Now, apparently folks, it's not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion that we love people. There are some Christians and I'd like to suggest they may not be very spiritually mature Christians. They may be, may be uh, uh, carnal or, or infant Christians. And they'll say, well, I can't love people because they're, you know, I, that's just not in me. I'm not a lovable person. I love God, but you know, get people out of my sight. This is not a suggestion that the Lord is giving us. This is a command. We need to love God first, and then we need to love people second. Now in um, the Bible, in John three 16, we're told God so loved the world. That doesn't mean the world of the elect. That doesn't mean the world of saved people. It means the world. He loves people. In second Peter chapter three, verse nine, it says that the Lord is not willing that any perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't get excited to see people die and go to hell. That is not what excites God. God's not willing for any of that. He is willing for people to get saved. He's wanting for people to get saved. Why does God want people saved? Because he loves people. That's why. That's the bottom line. For God so loved. And you can put your own name in there. That he gave his only begotten son. That if you put your name in there. Believeth in him. That you should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the wonderful thing about John 3.16. Now, if we say that we love God and we do not love people, well, then we don't truly love God. We're messed up. We got a problem. You say, where do you find that in the Bible? First John 4.20, if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? I want you to know today that I love missions. You say, pastor, why do you love missions? Because missions is people. And God loves people. I believe with all my heart that God loves missions. Any Bible believing gospel preaching church that will get heavily involved with missions Gospel preaching missions gets heavily involved with the object of God's desire and love. And this is very important. Missions is not an option for any Christian or any church. Oh, God hasn't called me to support missions. You're wrong. My friend, you're wrong. Unless you're not saved. If you're not saved, then you're right. God hasn't called you to support missions because you're not even saved. You're not part of God's family. You're not his son or daughter. You're not on your way to heaven. When you die, you'll lift up your eyes in hell. And you're right. God has not called you 
to support missions. But if you are saved, if you are born again, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and you know that when you close your eyes in this life, you'll open them in heaven. You know that when Jesus comes in the clouds and the sound of the trumpet, you will be caught up together with the rest of us. You know that God has called you to support missions. God has called you to be involved with missions. And this is so very important. It's not an option. It's a command. It's not an add on. I'll tell you what, it's the main business of the church. Now the church has many areas of business. It does. But the main one is the salvation of the lost. The average Christian has many responsibilities before God, many things that God would have him or her to do. But the number one is exactly the same is to be involved with helping, getting people saved. That's missions. That's soul winning is what it's all about. I'm so excited that we broke the number 13,000. You say, what's so special about 13,000? It means 13,000 homes of people. Each one may have two or three people in it. There may be 40,000 people represented right there who have potential to be exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, That's exciting. That's good news folks. So today what I want to do is I want to share with you the reasons why I love missions. I want to give you the reasons behind it. Now let's take a moment and pray. Our father, we pause and humble ourselves once again before you, before your throne and your majesty. And father, with your permission, we want to talk about a subject that's near and dear to your heart. And that is the salvation of the lost through missions. Father, help every one of us to love missions as much as you do. Open the eyes of our understanding. Father God, I pray for anyone here today or anyone watching over the internet right now who may not have a fondness in their heart for missions, who may wonder, well, what's all the the fuss about missions? They may not love missions. Father, I pray that you would show them the reasons why they should love missions. And it's not that hard. Father, touch our hearts today. It's missions month. It's time. Touch our hearts. In Jesus name, we pray it. Amen. Folks, most of us know that in Matthew 28, Jesus gave us the command to go into the world to teach all nations. Remember that in Matthew 28, teach all nations and we're to teach them the gospel. And that's the whole idea of our soul winning efforts and what it is that we're trying to do for the Lord these days is we're trying to teach lost people about Jesus. We're trying to teach lost people about heaven, about hell, about salvation, that it's not something you earn or not something you purchase or not something you work toward, but it's a free gift to be received or you can reject it if you want, but it's a free gift of God. Jesus paid the, paid it all. He paid the price on Calvary's cross and there on the cross. When it was done, he said, it is finished. Wow. Hallelujah. What a savior, what he did for us. And our job is to teach the nations. Well, I also want you to know that one of our jobs is to teach God's people about the nations. Sometimes we get into our own little world, right? And we get our head down and we get so busy doing our little thing that we lose sight. We lose consciousness of the nations. We need to be taught 
Beloved, we ourselves need to be taught about the nations. Now, with that in mind, how much do we really know about the nations? It's a great big world out there, isn't it? Well, I want to give to you, first of all, nine facts about the world. I want to give them, you can write them down if you like, but I want to give you nine facts about the world based upon the statistic that there are 7.8 billion people in the world today. We're getting up there to 8 billion, aren't we? And we're growing at a horrendous rate. Now, based upon these 7.8 billion people in the world today, I want to give you nine facts about the world, about the nations. Number one, these 7.8 billion souls, they live on seven continents, seven continents, including their respective islands. And those continents consist of North America, South America, Europe, Africa, Asia, Oceania. That's not one we hear much about Oceania and believe it or not, Antarctica. Those are the seven continents upon which, and and the respective islands upon which 7.8 billion souls are living today. Now, as far as the islands, there is no exact number of islands in the world, but researchers who study these things claim that there are millions of islands in the world today, millions of islands. Now, for example, Sweden, we think of that as one land mass, but Sweden has also a lot of islands. How many islands come with Sweden? Does anybody know? Would anyone hazard a guess? Would you say 50,000 islands? That's, that's a joke, isn't it? 50,000 islands. That's a lot of islands. Don't you think 50,000 islands? Well, listen, the number of islands connected with Sweden is 267,570 islands. I nearly dropped out of my chair when I saw that. Norway isn't that far from Sweden and Norway has 239,057 islands. And here's something I never knew about Canada. Listen, I'm I'm the real McCoy here. I'm born and raised not just in Canada, but in Ottawa, the capital city of Canada. And I never knew that Canada has 52,455 islands. I never dreamt that. Now, for those of you from the Philippines, there's a lot of islands in the Philippines. Amen. How many? 7,600 and 41. That was the number I found. Now, maybe you counted them and you came up with 642. I don't know. That's a lot of islands. Now, the truth is many of these islands are very tiny, very tiny, smaller than this room. And many of these islands have no people on them. But technically, what is an island? It's a mass of land surrounded by water, isn't it? And some of them are located in oceans and some of them are located in lakes, but they're still islands. Well, that's just fun. Some fun statistic, but let's get back to the, to the, the facts here. So 
Fact number three, fact number two was the islands. Fact number three is of the 7.8 billion souls in the world today, 60% of them live in Asia. Now that means 4,680,000,000 souls are living in Asia today. 15% of them live in Europe. That means 1,107,000,000 people. 1,170,000,000 souls living in Europe. Africa. Anyone want to take a guess at the percent of how many people in Africa? Percentage? The answer is 12. 12% 12 of the world's population lives on the continent of Africa. That means 936 million souls are living in Africa. 8% live in Latin America. That's 624 million souls. 5% live in North America. That's 390 million souls. Fact number four. These 7.8 billion souls are divided into 234 different countries. 234 different countries of the world. The largest landmass country is what? Russia. It has the largest landmass. Fact number five of these 7.8 trillion people in the world, they have managed to generate $360 trillion of wealth. 7.8 billion souls have generated $360 trillion of wealth and 8% of the world controls 85% of the world's wealth. That's almost scary. Now, North America alone controls 32% of all the money in the world. And by the way, we also consume 60% of the world's goods are consumed in North America. Yeah. Huh. And only 5% of the world's population live in North America. And yet we consume 60% of all of the goods produced. What's wrong with that picture? Boy, that tells you something, doesn't it? Now, some of you know, some of you have come from places in the world where poverty is just a way of life and it's difficult. Life is hard. And you get to a place like this, Canada, and you think, man, the streets are paved with gold. Almost. Well, let's get back to the facts. Fact number uh, seven. Fact number seven. These 7.8 billion souls speak a lot of different languages. How many languages do they speak? What's your guess? A thousand? More? Two thousand? More? Three thousand. Three thousand languages? Three thousand different languages? Is that enough? More? Four thousand? Five thousand? The answer is 7,099 different languages. How many do you speak of those 7,099? Well, I speak two languages. Well, I mean, that's good. Someone says, I speak 10 languages. Well, that's wonderful, but you got a ways to go. I'll have, you know, God speaks them all. 
And I kind of think he can even speak some languages that the man doesn't know. Is that a fair assumption? God is the best linguist. What's the most spoken language in the world? English. Some of you knew that. Yeah, that's the most spoken language in the world. English. I can speak to anyone from any country in the world as long as they speak English. They have a device now. You, maybe you've seen it. It's a little handheld device and you speak into it. And in real time, it translates, you know, to the other person. And I think they have to have a little earphone or something to hear because they have a little device and they'll speak their language and it'll translate into your language. You're each holding these little devices and you each have a little earphone. How about that for soul winning? Going door to door. No English. Here, put that in your ear. You speak in there. I speak in here. Here we go. How about that for soul winning and missions? Boy, that'd be something, wouldn't it? You know, there are religions, Christian religions that claim that they uh, speak in, in different languages, speak in tongues. And why is it then that when those Christian religions send missionaries, every single one of them has got to go to language school and learn the language of the country that they're going to. Why can't they just go there and just magically be able to speak the language? Makes you wonder folks, doesn't it? Amen. Makes you wonder. Get back to the facts here. The fact is number eight estimates put the number of religions in the world today at 4,200 Christianity being one 4,200. That's a lot of false teaching folks. That's a lot of false teaching about eternity and how to get there. Well, actually that's not to get to eternity. Just jump off a cliff. I mean, that's an easy one, but to get to heaven now that's different. And there's a lot of false teaching on that in the world today. Fact number nine, global frontier missions estimates, listen to this, that there are 3 billion, 230 million souls living in unreached areas of the world with little or no access to the gospel. Now that should make you sit up and take notice that practically half of the world is in places with little to no access whatsoever to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, this is, this is why I believe the church needs to be educated. Jesus said, go and teach all nations. Well, first let's teach ourselves about the nations and find out what are we dealing with here? And just about half the entire world has no access to the gospel. But you know, folks, at the end of the day, it all comes down to one word and one question. Listen to me carefully. One word and one question. The word is people. And the question is, do we love them? That's the bottom line here. People, do we love them? Now you might ask, well, who are these people? I would suggest to you that it includes brothers. It includes neighbors. It includes enemies. Now, someone says, well, does God want us to love them all? Does he want us to love them all? Well, what does God say in the Bible? First John four twenty one, and this commandment have we received of him 
that he who loveth God love his brother also. So there you go. There's the brothers. That could be a brother in Christ. It could be a physical brother or sister, but some, some sort of family relation, be it your physical family or spiritual family. You have a command there from God to love them. Boy, I love this person. I love this person, but that person, boy, I don't love them, but they're a Christian. I know, but boy, they told me a lie and I hate them. You don't have a Bible verse to, to support that. You do have a Bible verse, a command to love them. Well, how can I love them? Hang on to your seats, folks. I'm going to give you the reasons. Matthew 22. Now you're there now, aren't you? Matthew 22. And in verse 39 here, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, thy neighbor as thyself. You say, well, who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus answered that one. Didn't he with the uh, story about the, uh, the guy came down from Jericho and fell amongst the thieves who robbed him, beat him, stripped him, let him laying there half dead. And then these religious dudes came by and they passed by on the other side of the street. They wanted nothing to do with them. But then the Samaritan came and he stopped and he helped the guy and took him to a, an inn and he even paid out of his own pocket to have the guy looked after, you know, who is, who is my neighbor? people. You've got neighbors across the street. You've got neighbors across town. You have neighbors around the world. These are neighbors. They're people. And of course, also Matthew five forty four. say, how about going back there with me? Would you please? Let's go back to Matthew five forty four. Mm-hmm. This answers it for us. I think unless you have a better argument, Matthew five forty four. Would you read this verse out loud together with me, please? Can I get your help this morning? Read verse 44 out loud. Let's go. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you and pray for them, which despitefully use you and persecute you. There's the words of Jesus himself. Love your enemies. I think it says it all really your brothers, your neighbors, your enemies. You know, every Christian in order to be obedient to God needs to learn how to love people. There's something we need to learn folks. It's the command of Jesus. And listen, it's not as impossible as you might think. You might be thinking of someone right now that you hate. You might be thinking of someone right now that you have a lot of difficulty in loving. And listen, I agree with you. They may be very hateful people. There may be some people in your life that just, you know, grind you the wrong way and they've done things to you and put the knife in your back. They, you know, massacre your reputation at work or at home or something. I believe you, but it's not impossible to love these people. And I'll tell you how the very first way I know it's not impossible is because Jesus in Matthew 11, we don't have to turn there, but Matthew 11, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Right? He said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's easy, folks. It's easier than you think to love people. It's easier than you think to love missions. And I want you to know I love missions because God loves missions because missions is people and God loves people. I love it because God loves it. I wasn't born this way. I wasn't raised this way, but I am that way today. I love missions and you can too. 
And I want to now give you some reasons why I love missions. I want to give you some reasons why it's easy to love missions. And anyone here can love missions. You don't need all of the reasons I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you 13 reasons and you'll never remember them. So I'm going to put them on the screen up here behind me. And I'm not going to spend a long time on any one in particular. I'm going to go through them rather quickly, but I'm going to give you 13 reasons why it's easy to love missions. This is missions month. We're trying to get ourselves educated and taught so that we can make good, intelligent decisions based on faith in God's leading as to what each of us is going to do for this next 12 months when it comes to supporting missionaries. And this is part of the package is the education. We're in school today, folks, and I'm glad you're here. Number one, missions is the heartbeat of our savior, Jesus Christ. Luke 19, 10, Jesus said, for the son of man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. John 20, 21, Jesus said, as my father hath sent me, even so send I you. Second Peter three, nine, we quoted that earlier for the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. These scriptures and others teach us that missions, getting people saved, getting the gospel around the world is the heartbeat, the heart throb of our savior, Jesus Christ. This is the whole reason he left heaven. The whole reason he came to earth. The whole reason he died on the cross was dead, buried. The whole reason he was raised from the dead. The whole reason he went back to heaven was so he could send us the Holy spirit to help us. And he's in heaven praying for us now. And one day he's coming back. It is the heartbeat of Jesus Christ, our master boy. You know, if he loves it that much, shouldn't that do something to us? It's easy to love missions because it's the heartbeat of Jesus. Number two missions actually molds our hearts to become like God's heart. Now you're there in Matthew chapter five. I'd like you to look please at verse 48. Would you read that out loud? We're going to be looking at a couple verses in Matthew. So keep your Bible open at Matthew. We're in chapter five and verse 48. Read out loud with me, please. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your father, which is in heaven is perfect. Folks, that comes right on the heels of the verse that we mentioned earlier in verse 44 about loving your enemies and about God making the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends the rain on the just and the unjust because God loves people. And when we get involved with missions, it changes our heart. And our heart now starts to become like God's heart. God uses missions to mold our heart, to make us like him. So this is very important. Ephesians five, one also says, be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Reason number three missions helps us to obey the great commission. And the great commission has been given in all four gospels. And it's found in the first chapter of acts. Five times the great commission is given Mark 16, 15. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Folks, how are you going to do it? How are you going to go into all the world? 
That's what missions is for. It's to help you and to go in your place because you and I have this responsibility to go into the whole world with the gospel. Reason number, what are we at here? Number four. Number four, missions takes our interests outside of our own little world. Now, you know this as well as I, that we tend to get rather self-centered. We got our job, we got our family, we got the pet goldfish. You know, we've got our hobby. We get into our own little world, our own little way of doing things. And going to church, you know, is all part of that. Now, there's nothing wrong with the goldfish or the job or nothing wrong with those. But that's why Jesus said, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and look on the harvest. Missions takes our interest outside of our own little world. First Corinthians 10, 24, let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Philippians chapter two and verse four, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. That's in your Bible. And missions helps us get out of our own little world. Reason number five missions opens our eyes to the needs of people all around the world. Psalm 142 verse four says, I looked on my right hand and behold and beheld, but there was no man that would know me refuge failed me. Listen to this. No man cared for my soul. Years ago, I preached a sermon on that. No man cared for my soul. There are people today that are in that boat crying. What am I going to do? I'm all alone. It's me against the world. I don't know where to turn. God, are you out there? There are people expressing that and thinking that type of thought all over the world. You're in Matthew chapter five, turn to chapter nine, Matthew chapter nine of Matthew. Again, would you seeing as you're there, would you help me read verse 36, Matthew nine and verse 36 out loud? Read it, please with me. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. These were the Jewish people that Jesus was looking on. And I'll tell you right now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were useless. They were absolutely powerless to help with the spiritual needs of people. And even though they were in control, they were useless. I'm telling you out of those 4,000 and uh, 200 different religions, there's 4,199 that are useless. There are not 4,200 ways to God. How many ways are there? One way. There is one way. Some people think the way they got to heaven in the old Testament was to keep the 10 commandments. That's wrong. That's never how anyone got to heaven. There is one way and only one. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the father, but by me. Now your next door neighbor may be a wonderful person involved with a world religion, but I'm telling you right now, unless your neighbor next door comes through Jesus Christ, there is no way 
that that neighbor is going to get to heaven. I wonder why God put us where he put us. I'm asking you, are you praying for your next door neighbor? Who else in this world is praying for the salvation of your next door neighbor? If not you, the Christian living right beside. Boy, that's a, it's a difficult question, isn't it? Maybe we should add a few names to our prayer list. What do you think? I believe with all my heart that missions opens our eyes to the needs of people all around us. Listen to this. The United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization estimates that about 815 million people suffer from chronic undernourishment. They're starving is what it means. 815 million people in the world. The World Economic Forum estimates there are 312 million people suffering from poor mental health. They're in anguish. They're in despair. They're in depression. They are discouraged. The United Nations estimates that there are 40 million people today in forced slavery. That's child slavery. That's labor slavery. And that's the sex trade too. Young girls and boys being forced to become prostitutes against their will. 40 million of them in forced slavery around the world. Missions gets our eyes on to the needs of people. World missionary organizations all agree that most of the world today is not saved and needs the gospel. Quickly, reason number six, why it's easy to love missions. It lets us travel the world without leaving home. You can travel the world without ever having to leave the farm. You can do it through missions. Philippians 4.18, Paul wrote, Paul was a missionary. He wrote to the church at Philippi. He said, but I have all and abound. I am full having received of Epaphroditus. That was their pastor. The things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Both by the, by giving to missions and by adopting and praying for missionaries and communicating with them, you can travel the world. You can find out things that others don't know. Number seven, we have to hurry here. Number seven, missions puts us in the company and fellowship of special Christians in second Corinthians chapter eight, the first four verses, I'm going to read it for you. Pay careful attention. Paul wrote moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches, plural of Macedonia. And he's talking about a neighboring commute country, Macedonia with the, the churches there, how that in a great trial of affliction of the, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. So this was unheard of in their great problems, their economic problems, their struggles and their suffering. They had tremendous joy in being able to do the miraculous. They were able to give be beyond their power. He says for to their power, I bear record. Yea, And beyond their power, they were willing of themselves praying to us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. It's a difficult passage. I know. But what Paul is teaching here is that those churches in Macedonia were now in special fellowship with missionaries such as Paul because of their support of the missionary. 
the company of missionaries and also the company of special Christians who get involved. When you get involved with supporting missionaries, you get involved with others that are doing the same thing. It puts you in good company. Uh, Reason number eight. And for this, I'd like you to go back a couple pages to Matthew chapter six. This is one you've seen before. But I'm here to remind you of it once again. Reason number eight. It allows us to lay up treasures in heaven. Now, verse number 20. uh, And let's see. But lay, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Now I want you to read verse 21 with me all together for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so here we find we can lay up treasures in heaven. I believe that supporting gospel preaching missionaries is one of the best ways of doing this because there's fruit, there's souls, there's blessings, and you will be able to lay up treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't get at them. Quickly, number nine, the ninth reason why it's easy to love missions is missions lets God bless our church as a whole. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you. He's talking to the church at Corinth that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. That's a good Bible verse to memorize. I do believe that there is both an individual as well as a church application here. I think that the context bears that out, but God blesses the church that gets heavily involved with missions. Listen, if you've been coming to this church, Grace Baptist church for any length of time, you know, the blessings we enjoy, you know, it, you've experienced it. You've seen it with your eyes. Well, where did these blessings come from? How did we get them? It's because we started years ago supporting missionaries and we begged God and we depended upon him and we followed our faith. And now we're on the verge of taking on two more missionaries and it'll put us at 89 missionaries plus a Bible college that we support. That's unheard of for a church, our size. I've told you this so many times you won't find this kind of thing very often. But God is able, you see, but with the missionaries come all the other blessings. Oh, we've got blessings. We've we've got musical blessings, don't we? We got so much talent. We've got the blessings of people on board with soul winning and fire brigade and trying to reach this city. We've got the blessings of this building that God has given us. And God is meeting and exceeding the needs and on and on it goes. The blessings of God. We don't have time to to count our many blessings, but missions is one of the most powerful reasons as to why we have these blessings. God will bless the church as a whole. But reason number 10, missions lets God bless us as individuals within the church. We get blessed right here on earth. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven. We get blessings as individuals, as families and individuals when we get involved with supporting missions, give you a couple Bible verses. 
Proverbs 19:17, he that hath pity upon the poor. You say, is that poor financially? Well, it could be, but how about poor spiritually? Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor, Jesus said, have the gospel preached to them. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord and that which he hath given, will he pay him again? Yeah. And we've got Luke six thirty eight. give and it shall be given unto you. Yeah. And we've got the promise to Christians who are giving to missionaries in Philippians four twelve. That promise is not for all Christians. It's for those who are, you look at the context. It's for those who are giving to missions. Philippians, I'm sorry, 419. I think I said 412, 419. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And we love that verse, but that is given to Christians supporting missions. All right, quickly. And this one is extremely important. Number 11 missions helps us to win souls for Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter four seventeen, Paul said, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Now, every soul that the missionary Paul won to Christ was like fruit for the Christians there at Philippi because they were supporting him. And he was saying, it's like fruit to your account. Missionaries win souls out there on the mission field. According to our calculations, it's give or take a thousand souls a year are getting saved because of the missionaries we support. And we get credited, not just as a church, but as individuals, it helps us to win souls. You're going to get to heaven. You're going to meet people from different walks of life, different people from around the world. They're going to come up to you and shake your hand. And thank you that you supported the missionary that led them to Jesus. You see, we talked about this last Sunday, didn't we? The sower and the reaper, or was it the Sunday before? The sower and the reaper. We're the sowers. The missionaries are the reapers. But sower and reaper rejoice together. Hallelujah. So this one's extremely important. Now, number 12, and I'm almost done. Missions gives us joy to know we are supporting God's work. There's a great sense of joy in the heart when you know that your mission dollars are producing fruit and going to the right people and the right places. Second Corinthians eight, two. Now we, we mentioned this verse earlier, how that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy, he's talking about the, the churches of Macedonia. Remember that the churches in Macedonia that were giving to missions. And he talks about the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abound, abounded unto the riches of their liberality. And here the, the Christians in those churches in Macedonia experienced abundant joy as they supported missions. There is a great joy in giving. And lastly, number 13 is missions helps us to grow spiritually. Missions helps us to grow spiritually. Now, needless to say, helping to support soul winning gospel preaching missionaries will result in your own personal spiritual growth. It can't help, but 
It's the law of the harvest. You are sowing to get those missionaries out there to win souls. You will reap and God will make sure you reap. Psalm 92 12 says the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Now folks, these are just 13 reasons as why it's so easy to, to love missions and to support missions. And I'm sure there's probably more, but I have to close up this sermon here. We're running out of time. And I want to close by giving you an interesting application. First, I want to tell you of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Now these things no longer exist, but back in the ancient world, they were considered absolute wonders of the day. So these are the seven wonders of the ancient world. And I'm just going to mention them. I'm not going to explain them, just mention them, but here they go. Number one is the temple of Artemis in Ephesus. Now we have some pictures up here. I hope you can see those pictures, but it's a, an artist's rendition as to what it looked like. That was considered one of the wonders of the ancient world. Number two was the hanging gardens in Babylon. They were supposed to be absolutely gorgeous, like to die for. Number three was the great pyramid of Giza in Egypt and an unbelievably spectacular site. Number four was the lighthouse at Alexandria in Northern Egypt that, that whose light went far out into the Mediterranean and saved the lives of countless sailors as they navigated the waters. Number five is the statue of Zeus at Olympia. You can see the, the, the people on the bottom, how big the people were compared to the size of this statue. Of course, a horrible deity, mind you, but still it was considered an ancient wonder. Next, number six was the Colossus at Rhodes. It was a statue so big the ships could sail between its legs. And number seven was the mausoleum at Halicarnassus. And again, a great Ephesus. Now those things are all gone. They're considered the seven wonders of the ancient world. Times have changed. And so today we have what people consider to be the seven wonders of the modern world today. And I want to give those to you right now. Number one is the great wall of China located of course in China. Maybe some of you have been there. Number two is Machu Picchu in Peru. Again, another spectacular place and tens of thousands of visitors flock there. Number three is the Roman Colosseum in Rome. Again, a tourist haven and people have gone there, millions of them. Number four, the Taj Mahal in India. And these places are considered marvels, wonders in today's world. Number five is the ancient Mayan city of Chichen Itza in Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula. And there's just a partial, a partial picture of it there on the screen. And number six is the statue of Christ, the redeemer in Brazil. And this thing is so huge, so massive. It's unbelievable. You may have seen pictures or perhaps some of you have actually seen it. And number seven is the ancient city of Petra, literally cut into the side of a mountain. And it's located in Southern Israel. And these things are considered the seven wonders of today's world. Well, I want to finish this sermon by suggesting to you that there are other wonders. And I want to suggest to you seven 
other wonders of the world today. And I'm not putting them on the screen. I'm just going to tell you number one, it's a wonder that the world has not destroyed itself by now with all of its nuclear bombs, with all of its industrial pollution and waste, with all of what the world is doing. It's a wonder the world has not destroyed itself by now. Number two, it's a wonder that people can still find new ways to commit sin and wickedness today in the world. It boggles my mind. We see it in the news that there's some new evil organization that's been doing this or that and finding new ways to commit sin and trespass. Number three, it's a wonder that the hearts of sinful people have grown so cold in the world today, considering where we're at and what's happening. And the love of many has waxed cold. And so many people are just not interested in the gospel because their heart has got so cold. Number four, it's a wonder that atheism and evolution are growing at a faster rate than Christianity. Folks, atheism offers no hope to people. Evolution offers no hope to people either in this life or the life to come. There's no hope for atheism. There's no hope for evolution. When was the last time you heard of a broken family that was put back together because of atheism? When was the last time that you knew of some family that was destroyed that came back together strong because of evolution? These things offer no hope and Christianity offers hope. And yet these things are growing at a faster rate than Christianity. That's a wonder. You've got to wonder at that. Number five, it's a wonder that the patience of almighty God at both the lost and the saved. It's a wonder that his patience has lasted for as long as it does. Oh, truly God is patient. We get impatient, especially with some unsaved people that seem to refuse to get saved. The months, the years go by. Sometimes we get mad at them and we say, why don't you just die and go to hell? Christians say that. Yeah. I'm afraid some of them have. Well, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's a wonder. His, his patience has lasted so long. Number six, (laughs) it's a wonder that in the time it took for me to preach this sermon, almost 5,000 people around the world have died and gone off into eternity. And we have to wonder how many of them went to hell in the time it took for you to listen to this sermon. Give or take 5,000 people have died. And chances are most of them are lifting up their eyes in hell saying, where am I? What is this place? That's a wonder, isn't it? And number seven It's a wonder that more Christians are not more involved with supporting gospel preaching missionaries. Isn't that a wonder? Hey, listen, have you ever wondered 
why it is you're saved? Have you ever thought, boy, is it ever a wonder that I'm saved? Have you ever thought that? I've spoken to men who've been in the war where they've been advancing toward the enemy and the bullets and the bombs going off and their friend just, they could reach out and touch their friend, their friend, bang, got hit by a bullet or stepped on a landmine and boom, they're gone. And yet they themselves are okay. And after the war, they wonder how come he took the bullet and I didn't. And they wonder that for the rest of their life. How come I'm left still alive? You ever wonder why it is you're saved? It's a wonder, isn't it? It's a wonder that you're saved and that you're not dead and in hell. It's a wonder that you're here in church. It's a wonder, isn't it? It's a wonderful. Don't you wish all the world was saved? Don't you? Don't you wish everyone was saved? If I asked you, do you have a lost friend or relative, a mother, father, brother, sister, an aunt, an uncle, a son or daughter that's not saved? You'd say, boy, I sure wish they were saved. I sure wish they were born again. Don't you wish that the people on your street were all saved and born again? There'd be no more marijuana smells. There'd be no more wild parties. Huh? Be a little piece of heaven, wouldn't it? Don't you wish the whole world was saved? I sure do. Well, listen, that's something that we can help with. We can actually help with that by getting involved and supporting missions. We can help win the world or as much of it as possible to Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, my prayer is for every Christian at Grace Baptist Church. You may not know it, but I pray for you every day. And my prayer for you this month is that everyone would get involved with faith promise. I pray that every parent, every mom, every dad would help his or her children to get involved with faith promise. You say, but my kid is small. That doesn't matter. Get them started. Get them started. Even if you've got to give them 50 cents a week to give to missions, get them started supporting missions and praying for missionaries. Because then when they grow up, it's as easy as pie. I pray that all of our teenagers would get involved with supporting missionaries and praying for missionaries. That's my prayer. Listen, I encourage you to pray today and you who are watching from home. I hope no one hung up on me there. I hope no one changed channels. Pray today and ask the Lord what he would have you do. Now let's bow our heads in prayer. You've been so very patient and I appreciate that. Bow your head for prayer, would you please?